Praise God. I have been doing some physical work this, this week. As you know, my son's building a new home, and I put in a couple of days of hard physical labor. I found out that I'm not in shape, but I'm getting in better shape. And we were planning on working some yesterday, and it rained. I actually prayed for rain, you know. But uh, <clears throat> Roy was praying it wouldn't rain, and I told him, I said, I think that uh, not that I'm a greater prayer warrior, just that the mercy of the Lord endures forever. <laughs> Praise God. <clears throat> I used to do carpentry work all the time. When I moved here, I had been employed down in La Crosse, I was building new homes, and built several new homes a year that I I moved here. Would you believe when I moved here that I wore a size 42 suit? Can you believe that? Now, I had lost a lot of weight because I was working long hours, knew I was moving, and I was working day and night. I was younger, though. I, I know why they called this the middle age spread. You know, you heard, you, you've heard of that. And lately I, well, if you've you've never gone through some of the midlife crises, you you wouldn't understand it. You really wouldn't. It gets where it's hard to tie your shoes. Now you can relate to that, can't you? Hard to tie your shoes. When you get down there, you wonder if there's something else you ought to do before you get back up. It's just, (laughs) it's just not easy to... (laughs) Praise God. <clears throat> so much for all that. <clears throat> I want to read today from Matthew, the 14th chapter. Brother Tenney explained it like this. He said, you get in the midlife area, you go into the era of the four B's, baldness, bifocals, bulges, and bunions. There is a passage of Scripture that's found here that contains so much valuable information. And after praying, I felt that I should share it with you this morning. It's concerning Jesus walking on the water. I first heard this when I was a little tiny kid in Sunday school. We sung a song. Here comes Jesus walking on the water. Comes Jesus walking on the water. You know, and some of those stories stick with you throughout your life. This is a story that has stuck with me. I have remembered it vividly when I had many, many of the trials of life to come upon me. I spoke last Sunday evening not really understanding that some of our people were in the midst of a storm. I am well aware now after the Sunday evening service that some of you are in the midst of a storm. And I do not preach this as innocently as I did last Sunday evening. I don't think it always has to be that way. But I chose this because I felt that there are some things in this 
that would be of great value to some of you. In Matthew 14:22, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he set the sent, pardon me, sent the multitudes away. Jesus had just fed the 5,000. And there was such a great demand, not only upon him, but upon his apostles or disciples, because the apostles were the ones that actually did the feeding. Jesus broke the bread, they passed it out. So in order to disperse the congregation and to relieve them of some pressure, he said, I tell you what, you take the boat and go the other side. I'll talk to them for a while and then I'll leave. There was that kind of demand upon them. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on, on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And I want to stop there. And he said, come. God bless you. you. may be seated. <clears throat> I just want to go through this story with you before we go into some other scriptures this morning. I have already informed you relative to the setting of this. It is necessary that all of us understand, all of us without exception, that life in general was never meant to be just a dream. Some people live in a dream world. You've heard that used so many times. You refer to an individual living in a dream world as an individual who is not clued in on some of the basic facts or fundamentals of life. Some people who seem to hide behind a facade of dreams as if maybe life is not really for real. You've seen people like that. They daydream a lot. They seem to never wake up. Somebody asked me not too long ago, is it right for people to dream? And, of course, they were making reference to, not to actual dreams, but to have visions in your mind, goals that are set. 
I think people ought to set goals. I think you need to know a little bit about yourself, though, to set goals. I think some people require too much. Some people not enough. But the important thing about goal setting, if you're dreaming, make sure that you wake up so that you can fulfill your dreams because dreams or visions are not fulfilled. Sitting behind desks and drawing tables. But life is for real. And there are so many situations that you deal with in life that you never expect to happen. Now, I do not believe that you should blame all of your misfortunes on just life in general. Some people do that. I have actually been in positions in which I have questioned ministers and laymen alike. And it doesn't make any difference. What happens to them, it's always somebody else's fault. I do not believe that. But I do believe that right in the midst of life, when everything seems to be going so smooth and everything is so great, that that adversity can set in. Now you've got to understand the reason why that they left where they were is because things were going so good that they couldn't stand it. There is a time in your life when good things are bestowed upon you to the point that you, that you can't take it any longer. And that's what had happened. There was such a demand for Jesus and for his ministry and for the disciples and their ministry that uh, it just literally wore them out. They were tired. They couldn't take any more of it. There are certain people that are looking for somebody to talk to. They're looking for friends. They live very lonely lives. And I like to just insert this. You know, you can be extremely lonesome in the midst of a, a city with a million people. Because there's nobody crying out to you and nobody looking to you for help. And everybody likes to feel that they're needed. Everybody likes to feel that there's somebody in the world that loves them more than that somebody loves anybody else. That gives us identity as a human being. That helps us to find our place in our particular nick in society. We need that. All of us need that. I like to think that my precious wife loves me more than she loves anybody else in the world. If I knew that the fondness of her heart was toward somebody else and not toward me, I would be miserable. And you men and women feel the same way. And children need parents to express that same kind of love, that same kind of concern. But you see, there is a time in which man needs to retreat to a silent moment in which he can just be alone and meditate and gain his composure once again. As much as I love my wife, there are times when I like to just be alone. I don't want her around. I don't want her talking to me. I like to just sit and think and pray and read 
Now, after I have seemed to fulfill my own needs there, I quickly rebound, and she does too, in which we come back together to converse and strengthen each other. And that's the situation that you find here. Too much of a good thing will kill you. And the demands were so great. Jesus said, now, here's what we do, boys. And he laid the plan out. And he just kind of tapered it all off and went up and prayed. Time to go pray. Now, who can argue with that, see? You can always get out of whatever you're going to do by saying it's time to pray. Why? Because, you see, everybody who's following the Lord understands that the top priority is God. And sure enough, Jesus was not using that as an excuse. It was legitimate. It's time to retire. It's time to go pray. Now, they started over to the other side. What seemed to be then a good thing turned into a bad thing. Now, you can relate to that, can't you? I remember one time back in the early years of my ministry that I had a 1956 Ford station wagon almost given to me by a neighbor. And it was so shiny and so nice and, you know, it was just, it had everything that you would look for. It was air conditioned and everything. Now, back then, there weren't too many air conditioned cars, but this one was. It was really a nice car. And I could just see myself, I wanted to be an evangelist, see. And I could just see myself evangelizing i just got my call to preach. And I could just see myself going over the hills and the valleys and everything. This car, you know, it was the blessing of the Lord. Let me tell you something. That car turned out, that car stayed in the shop more than it stayed on the road. I do believe with my left shoulder I pushed it more miles than I drove it. I had more problems. The guy who gave it to me felt so bad. He said, I'll tell you what, if you'll pay for the parts, I'll put a new engine in it. And his son, who was a certified mechanic, put the engine in, but I had transmission trouble. And it leaked and it leaked. I took it in to a man and have it fixed, and it, oh, when he gave me the bill, I almost fainted. And then the thing ran hot, and I had to put a new radiator in. You name it. The only thing that was not changed on that car when I sold it was the green paint. It was still green. I was looking for a way to get rid of it. Now, I thought it was a blessed thing. Now, you see, this is what the disciples were thinking. This is going to be great. Now we can rest. The crowd's out there. Everything's... And so they began to rest. What happened, though? A storm came up on this sea. And it began to toss them. And they began to shake them back and forth and twist this little boat. And, and, and they just felt that, wow, we're in trouble for sure. They were extremely concerned about their safety. Now, it was about the fourth watch of the night, and this continued for a while, and they were all concerned. And when, when conditions are like this, especially at night, you begin to look. And sometimes you can look and see things that are not real when it's dark. Now, I have never had much of fear of darkness. I don't know why my wife is, she is scared 
of darkness. She's literally scared of darkness. Now, when it gets dark, she her ears tune into sounds. I can't. I can't. There's no way that I could describe it. But one of the few times that I remember being afraid, uh, my dad came in. We lived in a a little one-bedroom house. Actually, it wasn't a little one-bed. It was a big one-bedroom house. The bedroom was big enough for everybody's bed. He came in and and hung his army coat. You know, the, the old overcoats, big heavy ones. He hung it on a nail. We didn't have a closet. We had nails. So he hung it on a nail, and he hung his hat up there. And just as the sun was coming up, I woke up, something woke me up, I'm not for sure what it was, and I looked over and I saw this hat and coat, and I froze there. I literally, it looked just like a man standing there looking at me in the bed. And I was, I was petrified until it got daylight, and I found out it was just Dad's coat. And most of the things that lurk in the darkness, they're not really there. And when they're there, they're the same things that you see in the light. But you see, there's always something fearful about the unknown. The mystic that involves that which you don't know about. I'll guarantee you that if I took and pulled out a Halloween mask this morning and put it on, you knowing who I am, and I walked out, I could scare some of you this morning. And, and you have seen friends who have put masks on and everything, and you know who they are. But there's something about that facade in front of them that, that just creates something that's very mystical, and it'll scare you, even though you know it's your friend. And you know that the mask is no more than a piece of rubber that's been, been shaped and painted. But it scares you. And while they were looking out, because when you are in a lake or in the ocean, and it gets dark, there's something even more mystical about the ocean. I don't know what it is, but when it gets dark. Now, I wouldn't want to drown. But if I ever drowned, I would rather drown when it's daylight than when it's dark. There's just something terrible about the darkness and the water, the combination. Now, these men were fishermen. Well, I happened to grow up in the home of a very avid fisherman. I've been in the boat many times when it gets dark. When it gets dark, I like to get to shore. So their problems were compounded and, and, and because the storm came and they were all looking out. What were they looking for? Just the things that appear in the darkness. They're out there. I know they're out there. And while they looked out, they saw this figure of this man walking on the water. 
Now, they didn't know it was Jesus, and they had never, never seen him walk on the water. Now, these men, even though they were fishermen, they were well acquainted with the Old Testament. And they were acquainted with the psalm that stated that God alone treads upon the water. And how could this be that the one who left them behind was walking upon the water? Therefore, knowing the scripture as they knew the scripture, they perceived in their mind that this was a spirit. And there's something, sure enough, something that gives you the willies when you're confronted with a ghost. Now, I don't believe in haunted houses. I believe sometimes what you see is more dangerous than what you don't see. And they were afraid, the Bible says. Now we just want to stop there and go no further. We want to relate this a little bit to some of the situations of life. The sea in the scripture represents mankind. It represents peoples and nations. The beast in the book of Revelation came out of the sea. And the sea represented multitudes of people and such. And sometimes while you're right in the midst of life, surrounded by people, you get this real fearful spirit that comes upon you. As if maybe you are planted in, in the wrong place at the right time. And that, that somebody or something that has a greater force and power than yourself has come upon you. The wind in the scripture represents the Holy Ghost in many cases, but in many cases it does not. It represents the blastings of satanic powers and satanic forces. When Jesus was with the disciples on another occasion, and he was asleep, a great storm came upon the sea, and they woke him up and said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Jesus rebuked the winds. The winds there represent the evil forces. When a person first finds God, in Matthew 13, when Jesus gives the parable, of the sower, some seed fell upon good ground, some upon stony ground, and so forth. And the Bible says that, that the seed that fell upon stony ground, it could not take much root. And therefore, when the storms and the winds and such came, the seed quickly died. And the storms and the, the sun and the wind... Uh, is making reference to evil forces. 
And sometimes right in the midst of life, some evil force seems to reach out and strike at you. And quite frankly, there are times when you don't know if you're coming or going. You seem to lose your perception. You don't know which way is which. All of you have been placed in situations when you really did not know what you ought to do or what was required of you. If you knew, you would do it. But you just didn't know. So you begin to look around for some evidence as to what to run to or what to run from. I talked to some people that became so confused in the midst of life, they have actually told me, he said, Brother Grant, I don't really know if the Lord's talking to me or if the devil's talking to me. Now, you know it's important that we be led by the Spirit. And I'm not trying to say that you don't know when you're led by the Spirit. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and another they will not follow. But you know what? I think sometimes that Jesus purposely disguises himself and leaves you alone to prove to yourself and to himself a particular point. You see, fidelity or loyalty to anything can never be proven except in adversity. Do you believe that my loyalty to my wife can be proven without me ever having a temptation? It cannot be. Neither can her loyalty be proven to me without adversity. And loyalty to God can never be equated as loyalty unless there be an evil force that comes to tempt you. Jesus was tempted 40 days in the wilderness. And his, the sum total of his fidelity rested upon how he reacted to the voice of the temptation. Now he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. I'm not for sure just how long he was actually tempted. But you see, fasting conditions the flesh to overcome temptation. In fasting, many times you reach the point where nothing seems to matter. Just whatever. In other words, when I say nothing seems to matter. In other words, there's no pull from the world. You submit yourself. You cleanse your flesh. But you can't prove fidelity ever without adversity. And it appears that what the Lord was actually doing... He was just going to leave them alone just for a little while to see how they were going to react when adversity came. And here they are. And then when he appeared, he appeared in a way in which they could not recognize him. And they looked out and they perceived that it was a spirit. Jesus, however will not 
ever tempt you above that which you are able to bear. He just won't do that. You see, before God allows you to be tried, He carefully, carefully scrutinizes yourself. He knows what your moral character is. He knows the fiber that you're made up of. He knows all of these things. So the greater your trial, the greater your test, the truth of the matter is, the greater the compliment is from God. Now, if we wouldn't forget that, it would make it all much easier. Because He will never allow one of His children to be tried in a way in which He cannot overcome. Now, I believe there are times in my life and times in your life when the devil could destroy us if the Lord just withdrew his hand. There's a particular time. If you notice when Job was tried, it was not the devil's idea. It happened to be God's idea. When, when, when the Bible says the sons of God came before the Lord, Satan came also. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Job was cresting on his spiritual highs. He was even offering sacrifices for the things that his children might, might have committed. He was extremely cautious and extremely careful. Now maybe there was a time in which the Lord would not have even gone to Satan and said, have you considered Job? Because maybe Job couldn't take that on any given day at any given time. But the trial that you're in the midst of right now is really the trial that you need because it is the trial that will prove your fidelity or your infidelity. To your master. Don't forget that. It's just what you need. It's no more. It's no less than what you need. The Lord had disguised himself. And they looked out. And they said it's a spirit. And they cried out for fear. Now how did they cry out for fear? If they had been women, they probably would have screamed. Most women scream when they get afraid. What do men do when they get afraid? They will usually approach the oncoming force by saying, Hello! Who are you? Simon Peter, this is my cohort John. What do you want? Can we help you? No answer. Whew. Something real funny is going on here. Let's try her again, boys. 
But before they cried out again, the voice spoke back. And the voice said, Be of good cheer. It's me, Jesus. Don't be afraid. Is what you're looking at in the darkness fearful to you? Let me say this. Sometimes the thing that you're afraid of the most is the thing that you need the most. You've seen people come into an apostolic church and they were not acquainted with our way of worship. Have you ever seen people get afraid when people are worshiping? I remember one time I preached. This happened about, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. I preached. I was preaching on hellfire and brimstone, and I was telling everybody, I'm here to tell you, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish, that, that God has prepared a lake of fire for the devil and for his angels. And if you want to follow the devil, you'll be cast in a lake of fire. I was preaching like that, and there was a boy that came sliding into this altar right down here like a runner sliding into second base. And the men gathered around him. We began to pray, and all of a sudden, he just started trembling like this. And he jumped up, and he took out. I mean running. Now, some of you were here when this happened. He ran out, and you could hear the coat rack, and the front door, boom. And one of the brothers ran out, and they said, Listen, all I saw was way down here on Walter Street. Crossing, just as hard as he could run. What happened was, you know, he responded to the Lord, and all of a sudden he got this fear, so he took out running. We came back in, we were talking about it, we said, Lord, uh, uh, it, must be, it must be terrible, because, see, fear hath torment. You know what the Bible says? Fear can drive you crazy. It really can. It can really work on you. So while we were talking about it, would you believe all of a sudden, boom, the door opened, and, and we could hear the coat rack, and, and, and we looked, and the door flew open, and, and here this man was, this boy. He ran in here and slid back down to the altar and lifted up his hands, and he began to cry and pray. And we thought, now this is the most bizarre thing that I've ever seen in my life. And we just wept and cried and prayed with him. And, and after a while, you know, uh, he kind of gained his composure, and we began to talk with him. He said, I'll tell you the truth. He said, when you were preaching, you scared me to death. I thought I was going to hell this very night. And when I got down here and the people gathered around me, he said, I was afraid of that. And I took out running, and he said, I ran down the sidewalk, and the further I got, the scarier I got. And it was dark down there. And he said, I stopped, and it was like a voice told me, he said, you better get back or you will go to hell. And so he, he ran back in here, and he says, I am so mixed up and confused, I don't know what I'm afraid of. I seem to be afraid of everything. And you see, what happens to you during the time in which adversity comes, you get a little gun shy. You know, you get afraid of everything. Because you get to thinking that in everything there is, that it, it, you know, it's always bad. Some people, they develop this negative attitude about things. You know, really. They, they just, they see something bad in everything. Now, people get that way when they when they go through a trial for a while, and and, and it seems like that that the that that they kind of reverse everything, and and their bad feeling gives them some comfort. Because if they change that train of thought, then they become positive. It takes courage. You know, it does take courage to fight the devil. So I think I'll just kind of lay down and play dead for a while.
But you see, <clears throat> the thing that you are afraid of, most of all, might be the thing that you need. And people who are afraid of Pentecostal worship and afraid of the, the way of the apostolics and such, the thing that they're afraid of is really the thing that they need for salvation. They're afraid to be baptized in Jesus' name. There was one lady who told me, first time she'd ever been in the church, we prayed and she repented of her sins. She wanted to be baptized. When I took her back there, she looked at me and said, now this is my first time here. And I got second thoughts. I said, why? Are you afraid of water? She says, in this case, yes. I said, well, why in this case? She said, you won't drown me, will you? And I said, drown you? She said, I have never been here before. And this place seemed very weird to me. She said, you know, if you hadn't been talking here in the back room about baptism as being a burial, maybe it wouldn't have had this effect on me. But you will bring me up, won't you? I said, yes, ma'am. We will bring you up. Now, she was really afraid. She stood there and she trembled and trembled and trembled and I had to I had to really coach her and comfort her. Look, you're afraid of this, but this is what you need. Let's go in the Bible. And you can kind of understand, uh, understand what she was going through, you know. You walk into a place, you've never been there before, you don't know anybody, and all of a sudden, you know, this preacher's talking about burying you. So sometimes you see the thing that you that you need most of all is the thing that you're afraid of. But Jesus, he said, be of good cheer. It is I. Don't be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, now notice what he did. If this is really you, If it's really you, now this is what you call putting a fleece before the Lord, I suppose. Now, if this is really you, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to ask me to walk on the water with you. See, that's what he was saying. You know what Jesus did? Jesus then looked at him and said, Come. Come simply means advance toward me. It's me. Now, if you notice, if you notice, see in the Bible represents people. He was to walk upon the water representing through God he being the apostle that was to hold the keys to the kingdom in his hand would develop into a leader that had authority over people 
But this is not only true of Peter. This is also true of Christians. The church is the keeper of the world. Now, when Abraham received a vision, the Lord told him, He said, Now, Abraham, your stars will be, or your seed, rather, will be as the stars and as the sand. The stars represent the heavenly. The sand represents the earthly. And according to the scripture, Abraham has two types of seed in the world. Those who are Jews by virtue of their bloodline. And those who are spiritual Jews, those who are circumcised in their heart. It is a known scientific fact. That the tide is controlled by the moon and the stars. And the water controls the sand by the sea. The Lord told Abraham, said, can you count the sand? No. Can you count the stars? No. So God has two Types of seed today, those who are physical and those who are spiritual. But the stars rule over the sea. They can cause it to shift and move. And the little nation called Israel has been tossed to and fro from country to country scattered abroad from nation to nation because of their rebellion to their Lord. Now I said all of that to clue you in on one important fact. You do have power over many situations and at the right time it may not be just right now, for you may be crying out for fear. It may not even be tomorrow, because you may be waiting for your answer. But God said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And he said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now that's not just speaking of longevity, but what he's saying is, every situation that you go through, I will personally lead you. I will be there with you. The psalmist said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in green pastures, even through the valley of the shadow of death. The psalmist said, I will fear no evil. He said, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He goes on to, to, to say that, that regardless of what we go through, he even prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. You see, Jesus doesn't walk behind us and say, Go. 
He walks before us and he says, come. And that's an important principle to remember because, see, you're not gravitating away from God, friend. If your heart is honest and sincere, you're always going toward him. He led you through this trial. And that simply means if he led you through this trial, he went beforehand. And the scripture says, my Lord was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. Do you think you'll ever be able to stand before God on the judgment day if you don't make it and say, Lord, I'm sorry, but you see what happened to me was something that never happened to anybody else. I was tempted in a way nobody else was tempted. The Lord's going to say, no, I'm sorry, that's not right. For in the moment that you fail me, I had already gone before. It did not affect me. He literally went through those situations while he was here on the face of the earth. But then he led you through the trial you're going through right now. And you may say, but, but it's impossible for a man to walk up on the water. Basically what we're saying, it's impossible for people to be victorious and to keep a good attitude. It is if you're sand, but if you're a star, it's not. Because the stars always rule over the water. And we are his spiritual seed. That's why John says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Praise God. It doesn't make any difference what your trial is. God is beckoning to you. Come. Come. Come to me. And you're saying, but Lord, if it's really you, just as you had power over circumstances and situations and even death, Would you just let me walk above all of this for a little while? And as long as Peter kept his eyes upon the Master, he stayed afloat. But when he looked around and got his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. And the important point is this. Keep your eyes upon him. Keep your eyes upon him who is calling you. Praise God. We want you to stand at this time if you would.